right, we are live once again. What's going on, brother? How are all you right, today? All right, man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Bethany, my wife, and I, we have been watching The Chosen. I don't know if you've heard of that or seen that. Have you seen that at all yet? I have heard of it. It is on my radar, and it is definitely something that I want to uh, to watch with Kim. We are, we're always looking for new shows to watch, and sometimes it can be hard to find things that are intriguing but still don't offend all of our sensibilities you know what i mean well this is really good i I like this because most programs about jesus portray jesus as almost robotic yeah it's g when you when you look at jesus it's this unattainable type lifestyle it's this man who who walks around as a holier than thou attitude and unfortunately that's how a lot of programs portray jesus and I like this because it's real. It portrays Jesus. It portrays the disciples that so far I've, I've seen in the different episodes as just being real people with real issues. And it's extremely relatable. There's a lot of stories that are in the actual episodes that aren't found in the Bible. Some of it's based upon tradition. And then others are simply made up just to try to give you some, some context and some contextual understanding yeah. of how something would have looked. And it's really cool. I, I really enjoy it. I recommend, highly recommend. So, where, it. Where, where can you find it? Like, where can you watch it? What apps so you or can, streaming services? Available well, so you can it? you can actually watch it for free on YouTube. They have all the all eight episodes right now on YouTube for free. If you just Google search the chosen or YouTube search the chosen, it'll come up. Today's episode of Exploring Faith and Pursuing Grace podcast is brought to you by The Chosen. Brought to you The Chosen. Ten percent of all proceeds of The Chosen go. <laughs> Well, 10% of free is still free. So there you go. No, guys, that that was some sarcasm there. It's not really sponsored by The Chosen. But yeah, dude. It would be awesome if it was. No, dude, wouldn't it though? We need need more than 20 listeners before we can get sponsors. Yeah, yeah, we need a few more than that. But not in all seriousness, though, we are we're seeing a lot of downloads. A lot of people are really have really been interested. So to our listeners, thank you very much for engaging um, our Facebook group is growing by leaps and bounds every day and every week. We have more and more people joining us. And Kevin and I have some interesting ideas in the future for how we can better engage together with one another and ask these questions and discuss these topics in a little bit more detail over time so that you guys can have some discussions. We have some cool things in the works for that. Also, um, we're looking forward to moving forward uh, we're going to be getting deep into the weeds in the in the weeks to come and the episodes to come, but we'll wait till the end of this episode to get into it. But well, and I just want to say too that I've had several people reach out who are who are probably listening right now, and so I want to say thank you. But I also want to say that if anybody wants to reach out to us, because I did have someone reach out to me, and they just wanted to make sure our conversations would be kept private, and the answer is absolutely yes. When, when you reach out to us and you're struggling with a situation, whether you're a professor, which I've talked to uh, some professors in the past, I've talked to different pastors of different uh, denominations, I've talked to elders in churches who are struggling and, and they have reached out and asked if they can talk in confidentiality, the answer is absolutely yes. We are not going to shame anybody. We're not going to say, well, you better change and you better stand up or else we're going to tell everybody that you're a flaming liberal. <laughs> yeah. None of that none of that's going to happen because it true change takes time and if you don't have someone to bounce ideas off of and brainstorm with, 
then it's very difficult to ever change. And so we are here not just to do a podcast, uh, just so that we can talk. We are literally here because we love you. We care about you. We know what it's like to be trapped in bondage and legalism. And we also know what it's like to find freedom in Jesus. And we want to help people do that any way we possibly can. And so any conversations that someone wants to have with us will definitely be kept confidential. So I just want to throw that out there, let people know. Well, Kevin, you just nailed that because that's the entire purpose of this. Because whenever I first began to go through my season of doubt that led to this season of change, dude, it, it was terrifying because I didn't feel like I had anybody that I could talk to. I didn't feel like I had anybody that I could reach out to. I mean, I was afraid of bringing a lot of this up with my wife. And, you know, today we're talking about relational illustrations. And that's one that we'll get into is a husband and a wife. But, you know, your spouse is supposed to be the person that you are closest to. The spouse, Your spouse is supposed to be the person that you know better than anyone else. And they know you better than anyone else knows you. And I was terrified about bringing a lot of this up with my wife because one, I didn't want to worry her and have her think that her husband was, you know, going to become some crazy reprobate or some, you know, crazy flaming liberal, like what <laughs> you, you said a moment ago. Yeah, you know, I didn't want to worry her. I didn't really have any friends in the church I felt like I could reach out to. I would test the waters with some of them. And I would come to them with a question, you know, and probe a little bit, you know, around the edges. I wouldn't get into the root of what was concerning me or the concerns and the worries and the fears and the doubts that I had, but I would, you know, take a different approach where I would discuss something that was maybe a little bit safer, quote unquote, something that, you know, wasn't something that I wouldn't be marked for, you know, or something that wasn't what we would call maybe a salvation issue, or as you put it, an open hand or closed hand issue. And just see what the the nature of their reply would be. You know, what tenor will their response have? And it was incredibly discouraging to find that I really didn't have a safe place to talk about any of this. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so thankful for you, brother. And I'm so thankful for being able to reconnect with you is you and I, we, over the last, what, two years, we have had many conversations and I've been able to come to you. We've been able to discuss things and you've been there for me. And to all of our listeners, we want to be there for you in the same capacity. And at some point, we're, we'll probably do a Q&A episode where you'll we'll answer questions that are asked of us and you know just kind of go through it in kind of a quick way. But you can rest assured we're not going to go spreading your name all over the place. If you want, If you want things to stay confidential, they will. Well, and not only that, but we have connections in other places as well. So it's not just you would be talking to us. I mean, you can just talk to us, but we can bring in other people and connect you with other people that otherwise you may have not been aware of who may have dealt with your specific situation. And that that's what's so incredible about it is we've really built up a network of Christians all throughout really the United States. Uh, I was thinking yesterday just the different... Christians that I know who have been through similar situations, some who've been through a lot worse situations than I could ever imagine. And they have experience, they have a lot more knowledge in certain topics and training in certain areas that that I don't, that I have been able to refer other people to and just uh, to be able to connect them. And so it's not just me and Lee, it's if you want to know where to turn to, and you're thinking, well, Lee and Kevin seem like a bunch of idiots. <laughs> Is there anybody else maybe who, who, uh, who's out there? You know, uh, we we can definitely refer you guys to, to other people as well, just to connect you with the true community 
of people um, who, like I said, may have training in different areas. And another thing, I don't know if we've really ever brought this up, but we both, me and Lee, both have full-time jobs. And the reason why I think that's somewhat important is because I, neither one of us, now I know, Lee, you do preach part-time. Yeah. But that's not your your main source of income or your you know employment or anything like that. Uh, you have your own practice as a chiropractor, and my wife and I we own our own promotional product and marketing business, and so we are not afraid to do these things because of of well, number one, we believe we need to do it, but we're not beating our chest saying, "Look at how great we are." We're talking about topics nobody else is talking about. We're simply saying we're able to talk about these topics. I'm not afraid of getting fired because I don't work for a church. So yeah, I'm not afraid that, of, of the elders hearing what I have to say and coming down on me. I own my own, my wife and I own, own our own business. And so we're, we're not afraid to talk about these topics, thinking what is going to happen when somebody from our congregation hears about it. So we're really free, truly free to talk about these things in a way that we're not trying to just keep certain traditions in order to keep our jobs. And that is a fear that a lot of people have. And some would say, well, if you're willing to stand for the truth, it shouldn't matter. But the issue that you run into is, is that you have some of these preachers that that you have mentioned, some preachers that I have known myself, who maybe they arrive at a, a nuanced conclusion on even something that we traditionally hold to and in, in a manner that doesn't really matter as it relates to the overall scheme of redemption or who Jesus is or how we approach Jesus or, or anything like that. And they're afraid to say anything about it because they could lose their job. They have a wife. They have kids that they have to feed. Yeah, I don't blame them. I don't blame prospect. them either. Yeah. And they're being torn apart from the inside out because, you know, on the inside, they they assent to one set or one system of beliefs or one approach to scripture. But on the outside, they have to project something completely different. And that cognitive dissonance can really affect you over time. Well, and that's something that we that's why I, I don't ever want other preachers to hear us and think, oh, Kevin and Lee think they're better because they're not employed ministers. And so uh, if I ever tried to reach out to them, then they would just judge me. Uh, so I want to be clear. That's not what we would do. In fact, we know, um, I know of multiple churches who are very open-minded, who are constantly looking for preachers. And so if you are in a situation where you feel like you have really shifted your thought process from when you first started preaching at where you're preaching, but you don't know where to turn to, contact us. Let us know, because we yeah. have churches who contact us, who have contacted me, who say, Kevin, do you know of of any preachers who are open-minded? And so let, let us know. I mean, we really want to be a network. We really want to try to help folks and connect everyone so that people can find freedom. I mean, we want to be an asset. We don't want to just be a couple of talking voices uh, through a podcast. We really want to be there to help people out. We want to affect our community, our faith community, our people in this restoration movement and in our restoration family as, as effectively as we can. I mean, that's really what we want to do, whether it's through this podcast, whether it's connecting with our listeners and helping assuage those concerns that may exist, whatever that capacity may be. Kevin and I, we love all of you. You are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we want to be here for you. So that's that's ultimately what we have in mind. Come now, while we stand and sing. While we stand and sing, yes. <laughs> so today, 
what we are going to get into. Yeah, that was kind of a long preamble, but hey, here we are. It's all good. Um, what we're going to get into today is um, a continuation of what we had discussed last week. Last time we had talked about the spirit of the law or intent of the law versus the letter of the law. And that was a really good discussion. We got a lot of good feedback. I've had several of y'all reach out to me and Kevin, I'm sure you've had several reach out to you saying how much they enjoyed that conversation. We've had folks engage with us on our Facebook page that really enjoyed it. And where we ended that podcast is kind of where we're going to pick up the torch today. Where we ended was this idea, well, then what do we do as it relates to expressing that idea of the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law? What does that look like in practice? How far does God's grace go? And, and you know, questions of that sort. And we touched on a lot of that. And one of the things you had mentioned that towards the end of that episode last week is that really the relational illustrations that are found in the Bible demonstrate to us and show us how a relationship-based approach to faith works. So that's the source of our discussion today. That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Yeah, and and this is what I really focus in on my book when I talk about the most important chapters, actually what I call this in my book. And by the way, just to plug in my book, it's called A Different Kind of Poison, How Legalism Destroys Grace. And I've always have allowed the offer to be on the table that if for whatever reason you can't afford the book or you don't want to pay for it because in some weird way you, you would probably feel uncomfortable supporting the the book, then I always have allowed the offer to be for anyone to just send me an email and I will send you a free PDF copy of the book so that you can read because I'm more concerned with just getting the content out there to people. So that is always on the table that if you're listening to this and you want it, but you can't afford it or for whatever reason you don't want to buy it, but you would be interested in reading it, let me know. You can email me directly at kevinpendergrass at gmail.com or also email. What is our email for the podcast, Lee? It is exploring faith, pursuing grace at gmail.com. All right. There you go. So yeah, you can always email uh, email me or you can email that email and we'll make sure you get the book. But the the point that I really focus on in that book where I, where I call the most important chapter is that a system change had to take place. Okay. So before I could really change, there had to be a whole system change in my perspective. Because what tends to happen when most people change and, and come out of a legalistic style of understanding God and the Bible, they start with looking at certain issues and realizing they're wrong on certain issues. So as they go through these certain issues, at first, it's just a matter of changing issue by issue. And what you'll notice is you start changing on a lot of issues, and you're like, what's going on? Why am, why am I changing on so many issues? And then you finally get to the point of, oh, I'm changing on so many issues because my whole system has changed. I'm looking at things completely different. I'm no longer looking at things the way I used to. And it wasn't just a matter of me changing on one thing. It's a matter now of me changing on many things. My conclusions are really different than they were before because the way that I view God, the way that I view Jesus, the way that I view the Bible, the way that I view other people has completely changed. In Romans 6, 14, it is, is really the, the main passage I like to, to go to here. It says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And the way that I like to talk about it is that there are two systems. There's a grace system and there's a law system, or there's a relational system, or there's a legal system. For many years, for most of my Christian life, I looked at Christianity through a legal system, not a relational system. 
Yeah. And that, that perfectly describes me. And, you know, we, we discussed in our first episode, our backgrounds, our histories, kind of what brought us to this. And I'd mentioned that I had come up in a Pentecostal system and for me making the jump and you and I discussed this over the phone last week, but making the jump from that system into the churches of Christ was really not that hard of a jump for me because I had in essence traded one legalistic approach for a more refined, more sophisticated legalistic approach. And whenever it comes down to it, it's all of this and all of the perspectives that I had were based on that viewpoint that you just talked about. And, you know, whenever you talked about the positions that you changed on, it's funny because I sat down and I thought, well, this has been probably about a month, month and a half ago. I began thinking, what have I changed my mind on? So I began to make a list of all of the positions and all of the topics that I changed my mind on. And there were like 55 things on that list. <laughs> you just scratch it out and put everything. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, holy smokes, how has this come to pass? I mean, was I, was I just a bobo head before and I just didn't know what I was talking about, but now everything's cool. And what it is, is it's not just that I've changed my mind on certain things, but my entire approach has been reoriented. My entire approach to the scriptures, my entire approach to God, my entire approach to Christ, all of that has, has shifted. The, the paradigm has changed. And it's changed from a place in which the Bible was approached like case law to a narrative story that God wants to bring me into and that God wishes to share with me and to share with his people. And whenever you think about it, a case law approach is really easy. It's really comfortable, but it also brings about a lot of different um, viewpoints and perspectives because whenever you go to trial, um, one of the things we do with our kids, we homeschool our kids and the homeschool community that we're a part of for the eighth graders has at the end of the year, what's called a mock trial. And we get this binder, we get this notebook of a trial that we try. It's a competition. It incorporates theater, speech and debate competition. It's really, a really cool experience for these kids. Well, anytime a trial is conducted, you go to trial, you have the prosecution on one side, you have the defense on the other side. And let's say it's a murder trial. The idea is, is that the accused has committed some crime and the prosecution's job is to use the law to determine why this person is guilty. But the defense's job is to use the law to determine why that person is not guilty. Both are using the same law. Both are using the same parameters, but they're arguing for different things. And whenever we look at the scriptures through a case law lens, whenever we look at it through a legalistic framework, we're not seeking, and, and I say this with, with some um, trepidation because I don't want to castigate anybody, but in essence, whenever we approach the scriptures that way, at least myself, I'm not seeking to grow closer to Jesus. My goal was to gain a better understanding of the law so that I could better apply the law. And, yeah, and and most people who are legalistic, if and I dare say probably all people who are caught in legalism, don't realize they're caught in legalism. And so when we say a relational versus a legal approach, most people who would listen to this who are caught up in legalism would would deny that they are 
approaching the Bible through a legal approach. They would say, well, I'm not looking at the Bible through the lenses of law. And they really don't believe they are because I didn't either. I would have denied it. If someone would have called me a legalist, which they did oftentimes, I would have responded back. And I did oftentimes respond back by saying I'd rather be legal than illegal. And I would have these little (laughs) one-liners. And I would I would talk about how, yeah, I'm, I'm legal and you're illegal and it, it sounds good and it would preach and I would get some amens and some chuckles. But the point of the matter is, is that most people don't really accept the fact that they are involved in a legalistic approach to God. And, and that's what's so dangerous about legalism is we don't even realize it. It's disguised as obedience to God. I, I, in fact, I saw somebody the other day on social media talking about how legalism is just a term that people have made up in order to try to get away with more stuff and that legalism is is not wrong um that well the the person talking said legalism is wrong if you're trying to just be saved by the law but then this person went on to explain how they're not trying to be saved by the law by explaining that you have to do all these things in order to go to heaven and and i yeah. think that's what's interesting about it is if we're not saved by law And then we turn around and say, but here's everything you have to do perfectly. You have to adhere to a set of rules in order to go to heaven. How is that not a law-based approach to Christianity? And the passage that I'll, uh, another passage I like to go to is Romans chapter 11, verse 6. It says, but if, if we're saved by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Paul says it's one or the other. You're either saved by law or you're saved by grace. And I think I had a hybrid approach, and and I've even heard other preachers, especially in the Churches of Christ, say this, that God does His part, and then we do our part. It's almost like a 50-50. It's it's very transactional. It's, well, God sent Jesus to die for us. Now we've got to live up to the standard that Jesus set, and then if we do that, God will give us heaven. That's exactly what a law-based approach is. That is a transactional method to understanding Christianity, where Jesus does his part, we do our part. There was a chart going around Facebook, and it says, well, God did his part, which was only like two things, and then it had a laundry list of our part, <laughs> which makes us <laughs> earning our salvation. And this is this is what what's so difficult for people, because people will respond back and say, well, yeah, Kevin, but we've got to do something, don't we? Well, of course, of course. But the way that we view it, the way that we view it, are you viewing it through law are you viewing it through grace? Are you viewing it through relationship? And that's exactly what we're going to talk about is what does that mean? Because those terms get thrown out. I hear people all the time talking about having a relationship with Jesus, and I have mocked that in times past. But we're going to explain today why not only should we not be mocking that, but that's the biblical way to approach God, and it explains and answers so many questions that we would otherwise have if we were looking at Christianity through the lenses of law. Well, and there are questions that can't be answered through the lenses of law. There are questions that can't be answered as a matter of case law, because you can't go to case law to know how you ought to treat your wife. Because how you treat your wife is going to be an expression of your love for your wife. And the way that she treats you is going to be an expression of her love for you. You know, one of the things, if if I really want to show Kim that I love her, I'll do something that I hate to do, that I loathe doing, that I despise doing. I'll load the dishwasher. If I load the dishwasher for her, 
that demonstrates love to her. Well, I don't have, oh, man, that is so, that is so true with Bethany. In fact, Bethany, this morning we were talking about uh, when we came out and, and hung out with you guys a couple weeks ago and Bethany, she said, I think me and Kim are really a lot alike. And, and that is exactly Bethany to a T that if, if, you know, she can do like 95% of, of everything that needs to be done. But if I do the dishes or unload the dishwasher, I'm the hero of the day. <laughs> exactly. <Very> low expectations, <laughs> but you know well, what? I well, let me ask. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, dude, and that's it. Yeah, how wonderful to have wives with wife. low it's standards. Awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, having wives with low standards. It's a blessing. <laughs> but but Thank dude, here's God, the thing. Literally. <laughs> yeah. But do you have book, chapter, and verse that tells you that you must load the dishwasher to make your wife happy? No, you don't. You don't need that because you know your wife. And it's it's interesting to me because whenever I approach Scripture through that case law approach, through that legal framework, you know, my desire in reading the Bible wasn't to get to know Jesus better. My desire in reading the Bible wasn't to get to know God better. I would say that it was so I could know his will. But what I meant by his will was a desire to know what God wanted me to do. What are the things that I must do to make God happy? What are the legal requirements that I must satisfy in order to attain salvation? And whenever you approach the scriptures in that way, there's a lot that you miss. There's so much that you miss. And, 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 uh, well, uh, well, my and brain's can, going all over the place right now. Well, and the way the way that I also like to explain this is the difference between what I, I call relational trust versus legal certainty. And what I mean by that is you have you have these people who live today in a sense of arrogance, and I'm not talking about Christians. I'm speaking in secular terms now, because they have the law to protect them. And this is the person that has yeah. the legal certainty. In fact, you you discussed this a little last week with the Zorro example, the Zorro mask, where this man kind of arrogantly said, well, I've got a mask on, don't I? So basically by the law, technically by the law standard, you know, I'm keeping the law. And so there's this legal certainty. And, and when you have this legal certainty, that also breeds arrogance. And, you know, Matthew chapter three, verse nine, you have the scribes and Pharisees who came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And here they are. Hey, we're, we're, we're you know, we, look, we're the Jews, we're the faithful, we're the re religious elite. And he said, don't think just because you have Abraham as your father, that that makes you somebody. And we, we have this idea that, well, we've got this legal certainty. These Jews thought, thought that, well, we're Jews, we're, we're Pharisees, we're scribes, we have Abraham as our father, we're entitled to salvation. And unfortunately, I felt the same way. I was a member of the Lord's church. I was a member of the one true church. So I had this legal certainty that I was in the, in the right church. The focus that I grew up hearing and the focus that I taught people to have is making sure you're part of the right church. That's legal certainty. It had nothing to do with making sure you have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. And we see an example of this in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, where the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, what do I have to do in order to go to heaven? And Jesus yeah. responds back and he says, well, you need to keep the law. Of course, Jesus was baiting him. This is beautiful the way Jesus did this. He said, we got to keep the law. And the rich young ruler came back and said, well, I'm doing that. And, you know, because Jesus threw out a few of the commands and the rich young ruler said, well, I've kept all those. And then Jesus said, well, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you can follow me. And the text says that he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. See, relational trust 
demanded that nothing come between him and Jesus. And his riches, obviously, we don't know the full context, but because of the, his response and what Jesus said, it, that implies that that implied that he did have trust in his riches instead of Jesus. So even though he had this sense of legal certainty, he still wasn't right with Jesus because he didn't have a relational trust. In fact, most people would rather have legal certainty than they would relational trust. And that's why people just say, well, tell me what I got to do. Just tell me what I need to do. God would rather have your heart than just tell you what you need to do. That's why Jesus demands a relational trust and wants a relational trust, not just a legal certainty. Well, and I love that example of the rich young ruler because, I mean, brother, how many times in your lifetime do you think you have heard that parable discussed or taught on from the pulpit? I mean, it's it's one of those things. And I mean, you've been in the church, the churches of Christ for your entire life. I've been in the churches of Christ for what, maybe 15, 16 years. So a, a fairly good chunk of my life. But in the time that I have been in the church, I have heard that parable used maybe more than any other parable of Jesus. And I've preached on that. And a lot of times the idea is carried out in, in one sense that, well, you know, if you're rich, that can be an impediment to getting to heaven and, you know, a discussion of why being rich is bad and why being poor is better. Or I've heard it presented in such a way that, you know, you have the thief on the cross that Jesus wanted to save and how everybody in the religious world wants to be saved like the thief on the, on the cross, but no one wants to be saved like the rich young ruler. And it wasn't until, <laughs> yeah, you like that? Yeah, that'll preach, baby. That'll preach, it, man. Yeah, that's right. But it wasn't until last year, whenever we were going through the Psalms as part of our Wednesday night study here in Ardmore, that I heard, or in that I saw, and I can't remember which Psalm it was. My memory, is, it, it, it escapes my memory. But it was discussing the trust that we place in God. And that's when it clicked for me. The rich young ruler's issue wasn't, that he, that his wealth was preventing him from getting to heaven. He had misplaced, he had misplaced his trust. He was trusting in his wealth rather than Jesus. And what you just brought out adds a new wrinkle to it that I never picked up on before. His trust was in his law keeping rather than in devoting his heart to God. And I think that whenever we're trapped in a legalistic construct, we get trapped in that too. Because we're reading the Bible to know what we have to do. We're reading the Bible to know what the law requires of me. What are the things I have to do? What are the boxes I have to check to make God happy, to we, satisfy my side of it? We even call them the steps of salvation. I, I mean, this is li- I mean, how much of a checklist can you get? We, we, we get to the point, these are the steps of salvation. This is the checklist. Check, I've done this. Check, I've done that. And the way that we teach it, the way that I used to teach it, it was there was no relationship to it. It was do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And because now you've done all these things, pat yourself on the back because you're saved. Jesus had hardly anything to do with my salvation other than, oh yeah, he died on the cross like 2,000 years ago, so I could be perfectly obedient to him in all things in order to obtain heaven. Now, once again, that's not- He died so I can check the boxes. He died (laughs) so I can check the boxes. That's God's grace, and And, that's how we teach grace so often. and, and, And that's not the way- we would ever actually say it specifically, but that's the implication. That's that's the application. When we have checklists 
of making sure you've done this in order to go to heaven. God, Jesus despises checklists, man. If you go through the Bible and you see when people try to just do a checklist, he despised that. He despised it when people were only trying to go through the checklist of the of the sacrifices. He just he despised it when people were trying to go through the checklist of of repentance with sackcloth and ashes. When people tried to go through the checklist of what they had to do to go to heaven. And yet, what do we do? We come up with a checklist. And here's why. Because there's a sense of certainty in that. And we like that. There's a sense of certainty that a checklist and law provides that a relationship does not give us. And there, there's because, because when you talk about trust in a relationship, when you talk about certainty in a relationship, it involves trust. When you talk about certainty in law, it involves zero trust because you can say, I've done these things. And this is why people will tell you they're saved. I know I'm saved because I have done XYZ, XYZ, XYZ versus I know that I'm saved. I believe I'm saved, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done, and I've placed my faith in him to save me despite my misunderstandings and shortcomings. There's a big difference in approach, and that's why with this legal certainty, people like it because they it, it gives a false sense of security. It's, I have done what I'm supposed to do. And I've even heard lessons. Once again, I've preached lessons, so I'm not pointing the finger at anybody other than myself on this because everything I'm talking about, I've done. I've done, and I've probably done in worse ways than a lot of other people. So I am the chief of sinners. But w when it comes to this idea of, well, how do you know you're saved? And I've heard sermons. I've preached sermons. Well, how do you know you're saved? Well, you know you're saved if you did this correctly, 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 if you did this correctly. And then it just becomes this long laundry list. And all of a sudden, the certainty is in my, my own ability to accomplish these things that I've created that I believe that God wanted me to do, and I believe that I did those perfectly, so thus I can say now I'm saved. And that, that was the problem with the scribes and Pharisees. You look at John 5, 39, and they search the Scriptures, Jesus said, because in them you think you have eternal life, but the Scriptures testified of me. And, and here Jesus is telling them this. You have studied the Scriptures all your life, and yet here I am in front of you, and you can't even recognize me because you're too concerned with the with the Bible. You're too concerned with the Scripture. And that's what's happened to many people today. Their God is not Jesus. Their God is the Bible. And that was the biggest, uh, oh, what do I want to say? I, I guess I, whenever I came to that realization, I felt like the coyote whenever he was chasing the roadrunner and he sets one of those elaborate traps with the anvil or the cannon or whatever at that moment where he realizes that that trap isn't going to work out and gravity is going to get the better of him and the anvil is going to squash him flatter than a pancake. Yeah. <laughs> that realization of that trust being in the Bible or, or if, if I can take that a step further, my trust wasn't even necessarily in the Bible. My trust was in my ability to correctly with 100% accuracy, know the meaning behind the Bible. So even then my trust wasn't really in the Bible. It was in myself. But whenever I came to that realization, you know, that statement, you search the scriptures daily for in them, you think you have eternal life. Well, brother, that describes me to a T. I mean, that describes the scribes and Pharisees that describes me. And when I realized, wow, I'm putting my faith and trust in my own ability to read this and understand it and comprehend it on a perfect level in order to perfectly execute all of these things. 
that's when I realized my faith isn't in Jesus, really. My faith is in myself. I'm the author and finisher of my own faith because it's through my own lens of through which I view scripture that I'm trusting. And in that sense, and it's scary, and I don't think that this goes too far. There may be some that take offense to this idea, but I think in some cases we make the Bible an idol whenever we approach it that way. Yeah, we really do. And this is what has led, I know in my own life and in many others, to this idea of what what I call what if thinking or just in case thinking. Because when you have, if you have struggle, if you struggle right now, if you're listening to this and you struggle with, well, what if I'm wrong on this? What if I'm wrong? Or I'm going to do this just in case, or I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do something just in case. No one ever in scripture through faith did something just in case. And no one ever in scripture through faith um, continue to what if everything, because that's not what faith is. That's the opposite of faith. What I realized is that the reason why I was what ifing everything and just encasing everything is because I was trusting in myself. And when you trust in yourself, you're going to have countless what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what if I misunderstand this? What if I don't understand this? Just in case I need to do this, just in case I don't need to do that. And your life is completely I mean, there's no there's there's no faith in that because all you've done is you've trusted in yourself. And at the end of the day, no matter how much we think we know, we know ourselves and we know we're sinners. And a lot of people I have discussed with about this particular topic have struggled with what if thinking and just in case thinking. And so that's the reason why you have that is because you have a lack of trust in Jesus And that's actually a sign of you trusting in yourself and not trusting in Jesus. Because true faith says, I'm doing this because I know, I I believe it's right. I know it's right. I'm not going to, this idea of, well, just in case now, I I don't want to do this just in case, just in case. Man, that is is law keeping. There is no faith involved in that. There is no trust in Jesus. There's no relationship in that. That is nothing but a fear-based Christianity. And one of the examples that I love, and there's so many, but one of the examples I love is found in Matthew 15, 21 through 28 of what real faith looks like. And if, if you're good with this, I just want to read this. It won't take me but a second. Yeah, get but it says that That's Jesus fine. went away from there. And Okay, yeah, because this, this is such a good passage here. So this is the faith of the Gentile or Canaanite woman here. And she, she comes, this is verse 22, a Canaanite woman uh, came from that region out and was crying and said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly." Now, I'm not going to unpack everything in this passage because there's a lot there. But what I want to focus on is the fact that here this woman is a Gentile, Canaanite woman, certainly not part of, at this time, God's saved people, right? God's chosen people. And yet here she comes, a woman nonetheless. So you got a Canaanite woman already basically culturally two strikes against her during that time. And she comes and says, please have mercy. And even her disciples are like, man, get this woman away. She's a woman. She's a Canaanite. Get her out of here. And then Jesus, he says, look, you know, I'm, I'm only here for the house of Israel. And once again, that's 
we're going to, we'll explain that context probably in a future episode. But the point he was doing is he, he was, he knew her faith. So he was, this is actually all done to illustrate her faith. And that did not stop her. She continued to trust. She didn't say, well, yeah, I guess legally you're right. Right now I'm a Canaanite woman. And uh, I, I guess there's no way you can save me, Jesus, because there's no way right now I could actually even begin to meet the demands of the law as it stands right now. And yet, she continues in faith. She continues to trust in Jesus. And then he even basically calls the Gentiles dogs. And, and of course, this was more of the reputation that the Jews would have understood the Gentiles to be. So he's, he's playing off the culture at the time. And then she comes back at Jesus and says, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs get the crumbs which fall from the master's table. If you look at this, this is a debate Jesus lost, but not really. He didn't actually lose the debate. <laughs> but if you actually look at it, she won up to Jesus. And it wasn't her actually one-upping Jesus. Jesus knew the kind of faith she had, and he allowed her to demonstrate that to others so that the disciples could see this, so that others could see the type of faith he desired. This woman didn't stop. She didn't let things stop her from trusting in Jesus. And he said, as it is, according to whatever you desire— and then his daughter, her daughter was healed. And so what's interesting about this passage is that from a legal perspective, there is no way Jesus should have done this. From a legal perspective, there is absolutely no reason why Jesus should have even had a conversation with her. But because of her faith in Jesus, because of, of her trust, her relational trust, she didn't say, Jesus, I have Abraham as my father. She couldn't say that because she didn't. She didn't, so she couldn't say that. What she did have was a relational trust. So here we have really two different examples, the one in Matthew 3, 9, and, well, a couple examples, Matthew 3, 9, where the scribes and Pharisees came out and say, well, we, we're God's people, right? We, 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 by, we by, by demand of the law, need to be saved because <laughs> we are Abraham's people. We have Abraham as our father. And then you have this, the rich young ruler saying, I've kept the law, and yet Jesus said, boom, neither one of you, neither all of you guys. You know, John said this to, to the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus said it to the rich young ruler. In, that, in those instances, you are trusting in your legal certainty, and so therefore you don't have faith. Even though from a legal perspective, they should have been the ones saved. They should have been the ones Jesus and John listened to. They should have been the ones. Yeah, the law that, was on their side. Yeah, but yet they, yet, but yet they were wrong. And then you have the Gentile convert. She wasn't a Jew. She, she from context, obviously wasn't keeping any commands, <laughs> and yet she had a relational trust, and that's who Jesus rewarded. So Jesus really flipped, and there's so many examples like this. Jesus completely flips things on top of its head, and what should be isn't, and what isn't is. And that's exactly what Jesus is demonstrating here. It's not about legal certainty. It's not on who you know. It's not what church you go to. It's not where you come from. It's not how much knowledge you have. It's how much trust you put in me. And, and I really like that idea of trust because whenever we think about what it means to trust in him, that takes all of the weight off of us. We're no longer trusting in our own ability to navigate those legal case law waters of scripture. And really, whenever we take a case law approach to scripture, we really do the scripture itself injustice. And that's something we'll get into later when we talk about, you know, generic specifics and genre and things like that. In, in a future episode, but it takes all the weight on us and it allows us to bear the burden of Christ because it's a huge burden to bear, to have that legal certainty, to know that under the color of law, I've got this figured out and I need to be able to rules lawyer my way into heaven. And that's a much tougher prospect 
in so many ways, or it can lead to so much more mental anguish than simply placing your trust in Christ. Now, if you come out of legalism, it could be harder to let go of that and put your trust in Christ because that legal certainty is comfortable because in that you can know that you know that you know. But even with a relational approach to Jesus, you can still have certainty. And you know some of these other illustrations that we're going to get into, and I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but one of them is the idea of husband and wife. Mm-hmm. Like, is it possible that Kim could cheat on me? Yeah, it's possible, but I don't worry about that. That is a thought that doesn't even cross my mind. It doesn't even enter my mind because I trust her. I trust her and I have full faith that she's going to be faithful to me. And is it possible that I could cheat on Kim? It, it certainly is possible, but it's not probable. That thought never enters my mind. That's not something that she worries about because she trusts me. And that's something that I don't worry about with her because I trust her. Is it a possibility? Of course it is, but I don't, it's not something that I worry about. I don't wring my hands over it because I know it's not going to happen. Well, and this is this is really where the rubber meets the road when you, you you can know someone's approach by the questions they ask. And I just want you to think about that for a moment. Yeah. You can know someone's approach to anything, not just the Bible, not just God, but you can know the the approach someone is taking to anything based upon the questions that they ask. And when you go through the Bible and you look at the questions that people ask Jesus, you can know what approach they took. And when my questions resemble that of the rich young ruler and the scribes and Pharisees, I'm probably not taking the approach, excuse me, I'm probably not taking the approach that I need to be taking. And in fact, I know I'm not. That's not the approach. So when my questions look similar to, well, what do I have to do? Tell me, give me the list of everything I have. Is it lawful, God, for me to do this? Can I get away with this? Can I do this? Can I do this? Tell me when this is wrong. Tell me exactly what I have to do. And that is exactly what my questions once looked like. And a lot of times people ask questions like that, and and a lot of times with the best of intentions and in all sincerity. And that's why we have to go back and look at this and say, where does the rubber meet the road? And here's where the rubber meets the road, and you already started touching on this is that we have to look at God. We have to look at Jesus. We have to look at the Holy Spirit. We have to look at you know the, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a true relationship. So you, you have husband and wife in a feed, and this is what I call relational illustrations. And I'll just quickly go through all these, and then we can discuss it for the rest of the time. But you have husband and wife in Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. You have brother in Hebrews 2, 11, Matthew 12, 48 through 50. You have friend in John 14, 15, and John 15, 14. You have child in Galatians 4, 1 through 7. And then what's interesting is that people oftentimes say, yeah, but Luke 6, 46, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? And you hear people say, well, Jesus is our master. Jesus is our Lord. And and we're, we're to be these slaves. And, you know, we, we kind of envision how we're just on our knees getting beat by Jesus all the time. And that <laughs> there's, you know, there's there's just there's no true relationship there. Well, here's what's interesting. I just want to read this very quickly. In Galatians chapter three, verse 21, because I believe that there was a re- that, that there is a relationship change now that Jesus has died. I do not believe he is our Lord in the sense that so many people understand him to be Lord. Don't don't get me wrong. 
Yeah, I, I agree with Jesus the little- is Lord. Jesus yeah. is Master, but that means something else than what is we commonly think. associated with those terms. Yes. Well, and he even he, Jesus and Paul even clarifies. He says, "Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture promised everything under or imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe." Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith, which would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardian and manager until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now look at verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I I love this because he's saying the relationship has changed. You are now no longer under law. It's not a law-slave relationship. It is a it is now a parent-child relationship. You are a son now. You are sons and you are daughters. And everything has now changed. You now have a father. We can we have the Holy Spirit that we can cry out, Abba, Father, God. And so that to me, this is this is just such an amazing passage because it changes everything. It literally changes everything. And so when you look at all these different, what I call relational illustrations, the whole point is now God is our Father. Je- Jesus is our brother. The Holy Spirit's living in us. We, 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 look at, we, we are the bride of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our friend. The Word literally leaped off the pages of the Bible and walked among us. And we have him, as John would say in 1 John, we have held him, we have touched him. He is here. He is our friend. We have a relationship with him. And this is, by the way, one of the things that changed my mind about this idea of relationship. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said that his prayer, that he came so that we could know who he is, that we could know him. And the word for know literally means to know through personal experience our firsthand acquaintance. We are literally to have a relationship with Jesus. And people say, well, the Bible doesn't say the word, you know, relationship with Jesus. Well, the word, the, actually the word relationship's not even in the Bible. So if that's the case, you're not to have a relationship with your wife or your brother or child or friend. <laughs> and this is where people get into semantics. The point is, is that fellowship, relationship, what is, what do we call a husband and wife? We call it a relationship. What do we call with a brother? A, a relationship, a friend, a child, all these are relationships. And so Jesus himself said in John 17, three, we must know him but then in Matthew 7, 21 through 24, that is where so many people misuse this passage where Jesus said, it's not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And he, and he talks about how there's going to be many who say, well, Lord, we did this. Lord, we did that. Lord, we did that. Lord, we did that. And then Jesus said, yes, and I'll say to them, I never knew you. Same word, by the way, for knowing Jesus. I never knew you. So you're going to have a lot of people uh, who say, well, Jesus, I did all these things for you. I, 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 I did the steps of salvation. I completed the acts of worship. I did all these things. I've kept all these laws. And Jesus is going to say, yeah, there's one thing you lacked. You never knew me. And that right there is a perfect illustration of the difference between a case law approach to scripture and a relational approach. Because from a case law perspective, you look at Matthew 7, 21 through 24, and you say, he who does the will. So now we need to know the will of the Father. And how do we do that? We extrapolate using command, example, and necessary inferences <laughs> to determine what the legal framework is through which we express our obedience to God. Which because is the very thing Jesus that. is condemning in that context. And that's what's crazy. Well, and, and that's what's so crazy to me, too, is because I have used that passage in the same way. I've used that passage in the same way to illustrate, well, we need to you know, make sure we know what God wants us to do. You better do what God says, because if you don't do what God says, well, it, even if we break that down and look at what was it that Jesus said to do? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what, what we're examining here is a relational rubric or a change in rubric from that of a law-based system to a relation-based system. And then Jesus says, and I'd never thought that I could be the one saying, Lord, Lord, in that passage. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do these wonderful, mighty works in your name? Did we not go and assemble on the first day of every week? Did we not take up the collection on the first day of every week? Did we not drink from one cup? Yes, one cup on the first day of every week. Did we not you know, our ladies not cut their hair or wear pants. Did we not do all of these things? I did all of these things, Jesus. Look at the list of things that I kept and ordinances that I followed because I extrapolated from your word that which is God's will for me to do. And Jesus is like, Bubba, you don't know who I am. Yeah, you never you don't know what I'm about. Yeah, you never you you never did my will. What is my will? What was Jesus' will? What is God's will? It is to know him. It is to have a relationship with him. The scribes and Pharisees had they had a much longer list than than even the churches of Christ did. You know, we we talk about yeah. our com command example necessary inference and fellowship issues which depending upon which church of Christ you ask you're going to get a different set of of lists, but you know, it's it's like you said, it's this idea that we actually took this passage and and made it say the exact opposite of what Jesus is actually saying. We, we have applied this passage to justify further law-keeping instead of condemning law-keeping as a means of salvation. And and I mean, I used to use that passage all the time to talk about the sinner's prayer. I, I would go to Matthew 7, 21 and say, well, it's not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall, you know, just because you say, Lord, Lord, just because you do all these good works doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You've got to do everything perfectly. And and I, I can just imagine Jesus just shaking his head when I was preaching, thinking, what are you doing, Kevin? Like that, no, that's not what I'm saying. That, that's actually the exact opposite of what I'm saying. And, and you you really nailed the, nailed, uh, nailed it right on the head there because it, it's... That, that is what we do, is it not? We, we come to Jesus and say, we've done this, 
we've assembled, we've, we've taken up the collection, we've sung without instrumental music, we were baptized, we, we, we heard, we believed, we repented, we confessed, we were baptized, we, we went to Bible class, we didn't, we didn't get tattoos, we, we taught the truth on eschatology and marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and we taught the truth on this, and we taught the truth on this, and we defended the faith against, against sissies who would dare try to, try to, to, to knock down God's <laughs> truth, and we did all these things, God, and we were defenders, we did what you wanted us to do. And then Jesus is like, you didn't even know who I was. You, you don't even know who I am, yeah. Kevin. You have no idea. And when I read that for the first time through these lenses, because I don't, I had read that passage probably more than just about any other passage in, when I was legalistic. And when I finally read it through these lenses, these this, this the relational lens of knowing Jesus, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm the one who Jesus is talking about. I'm the one who is bringing my list to Jesus, and Jesus is saying, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. There's one thing you lack. You don't know who I am. You don't have a relationship. You've trusted in yourself. You've trusted in your works. You've not trusted in me. Well, and that that brings about, even if you're still in a legalistic framework, you, you know, someone who is still of that mindset might say, well, okay, well, all that's fine and dandy. I see your point. But what does it mean to follow Jesus then? You know, you, you're going on and talking about knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. Well, what does it mean to do his will? What does it mean to keep his commandments? Because that has to mean something. And I really like what you said about and what the Bible says in Hebrews 2 about being a brother, that relationship of a brother. You know, I have a brother. I've got a little brother. And he and I, we were homeschooled. We shared a bedroom until I was about 15 years old. And whenever we would get together on Thanksgiving for Christmas, for other holidays and, and other things like that, a lot of times our family would, would play games and we would play taboo or catchphrase or something like that. My brother and I were banned from being on the same team because if, if we're playing taboo and what taboo is, is you have um, a list of words or you have a word that you it need to get taboo. the other person to say. Yeah. Well, with taboo, you have a word that you're trying to get your partner to say, but you have a list of five or six words that you can't use in describing what that word is. My brother and I knew each other so well and were so well connected. We could each say one or two words and the other person would instantly know what that word was. So you'd have one minute to do as many cards as what you could. It's a really fun game. And like other teams would ha get maybe three cards in a minute. My brother and I would get like 12 or 14. You know, I mean, we would just rip through it in a hurry. So we were banned from ever doing it. How were we able to do that? We knew each other. We knew each other's minds. We had a connection. And whenever you know Jesus, how do we get to know Jesus? You can't walk up to Jesus and talk to him right now. I can't sit here and look and say, oh, well, hey, Jesus, how you doing? What you been up to? Oh, not much. Just walking around, you know, the Judean region and preaching to people. And, and man, my dogs are barking. I've been walking a long way. You can't do that. The way you get to know Jesus is you read about what the Holy Spirit has left us to read about him. And whenever we read about Jesus, we will draw near into him. We will see his mind. And whenever we see that, we see the kind of man Jesus was while he was on the earth. And we read about what the Apostle Paul and other of the New Testament writers say about Jesus and who he was in his divine nature when compared to his human nature. 
that paints a picture in our mind of who God wants us to know or what God wants us to know about Jesus and who Jesus is. And in that sense, we draw near into him. We get to know him. And when we get to know him, he will begin to transform us. Well, and when when you talk about people asking or at least trying to perhaps even refute this idea or, or question it or discredit it, they will. They'll say, well, well, you're speaking too abstractly. Give me specifics. And that's the whole point we're trying to say is that a relationship is not the same thing as law. It, 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 you're, you're asking the wrong questions. And, and, and this is what I always, when I'm talking to people about this and they're genuinely asking, yeah, but what do I have to do? What do I have to do? You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, well, all you're saying is all I have to do is just believe and then I can do everything I want to. Does that sound like a relationship to you? And, and, and this, this, is, this, is, this, is where, this is where you see the bias against this view because people i will i will say this and we'll probably be accused of, of of saying well did you hear what lee and kevin said they said all you have to do is just have a relationship with jesus and you can do anything you want to in what manner of relationship in any relationship does does having a relationship imply you can do anything you want to if you're married and I tell you, you have a relationship with your wife. And I'll go, oh, really? Huh. You have a relationship with your wife, so you think you can just do whatever you want to? Because you got a relationship with your wife, you think you can just do anything you want to, huh? You think you can just go on Friday night and just have sex with as many women as you want because you have a relationship with Jesus or a relationship with your wife. Oh, you've got a relationship with your brother, so you, you, you think you can just mistreat your brother. You've got a relationship with your friend, so you can just abuse your friend. You've got a relationship with your child, so you can just neglect your child. We would think that that is so nonsensical. We understand that having a relationship does not mean you can do anything you want to do. Having a relationship actually calls us to have more dedication to that individual than the law ever would. I, I, and and this, this is where people miss it. Uh, one of my favorite passages is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Which one resembles the churches of Christ that we grew up in? The one that used its freedom to serve one another or the one that used its freedom to bite and devour one another? And Well, and brother, that to me is the most discouraging part of all of this because what initially drew me and intrigued me with the churches of Christ was the, the legalist or the legal certainty that existed within that framework. That was attractive to me. But, you know, being within it, here we are, we're part of this restoration movement that's restoring the first century church in all of its glory, the one church that the Lord built. And even within ourselves, we have divisions and we have sex and everything else. The sectarianism or the sectarian spirit has manifested itself within our people. And it's because the focus has been, and I love how you put this, the focus has been on the ritual rather than on God himself in Jesus Christ himself, because we do bite and devour one another. I mean, you and I, we had some really, even when we were both still legalistic and we would hang out and we'd go shoot and we'd go do this or that or whatever else, 
I mean, we would have some good conversations and we would riff on each other. You know, you'd tease me about the cup and I'd tease you about being an apostate who had Sunday school. But, you know, we would, you know, we would just, we, we would have fun with each other. You know, you, oh, I don't know if you meant it. I didn't feel like you ever meant it. I've always had pretty thick skin for stuff like that. But yeah. Well, no, who, and who devour one another over and over and over again. And that is not the spirit we're to possess. Well, and, and that's the thing that when you get into ritual, ritual actually justifies a lot more sin than relationship ever could. Because, and, and I yeah. was thinking, and I was just thinking about this, uh, actually just this, this past week when we were talking about doing this episode, how, you know, I had a porn addiction, a pornography addiction for many, many, many years. And uh, in the future, I want us to do just a whole episode on that because that's kind of a taboo topic. But I'm, I'm very open about that. And, and I hope other people will be, too, because that's ultimately the way you can overcome something like that through the grace of God and, and through just vulnerability. But one thing that kept me feeling comfortable in my pornography addiction is law. <laughs> and, and, and here's what I mean by that. Yeah. I would look up pornography and there there were times Lee where I would look up pornography on like a Sunday morning before I would go and preach or I would look up pornography on a Sunday night. In fact, I remember there was one one Sunday on a Sunday night I went to preach for a congregation and they wanted me to speak about modesty. And I did. I preached on modesty and I had looked up pornography that afternoon and then after the sermon I came back home and I looked up pornography that night. And what's interesting about it is I felt justified in a sense. Now, I knew I was wrong when I was doing it. I, I mean, I preached against pornography. I never would have said pornography was okay. But what I would do is I would I would have a prayer, and I would pray that God would forgive me. And I would, of course, quote-unquote, vow to never do it again, only you know, several hours or the next day or you know, a couple days later, do it again. And what kept me in that dangerous cycle was a, a law mindset because according to the law, I was technically meeting the demands of the law because if you sin, we'll just ask God to forgive you and, 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 and vow to change. But if you don't, then you just keep on asking God to forgive you. So this, it's very transactional, like, like we were talking about earlier. Relationship looks at things completely different. And this is one of the things that actually helped me overcome my pornography addiction is I started looking at it through the lenses, not of law, but of relationship. I'm now hurting God. I'm hurting Jesus. I'm hurting my friend. This is something that is not good for me. This is something that is ultimately hurting me. It's no longer about transaction. It's no longer about meeting the demands of the law. It's no longer about justifying. It's a matter of, I don't, I don't need to be doing this because this isn't good for me. This isn't healthy. This isn't right. And it's more than just, this is a sin. I mean, I don't know of a single preacher. And by the way, most preachers right now are looking at pornography. I think it's like 70% uh, is, is a Barna stat. 70% of all employed ministers have looked up pornography purposefully in the past month. So we, wow. when you think about that, uh, and like I said, I don't want to transition into that subject, but that is a subject I'm very passionate about because it was it, it definitely is it was a struggle of mine. And um, But he, here's the point that I want to bring out is that the legality can sometimes justify and keep us in sin where it's relationship that actually will call us out of sin. And that is when I hear, because when I hear people say, oh, you just want a relationship with Jesus. You just want to justify. Brother, I am more close. I am closer to Christ now than I have ever been in my life. 
And it's because of my relationship with him. People who knew me before, the best compliment I can ever receive is when people say, Kevin, you're a completely different person. I don't even recognize you anymore. I mean, I'm still a goofball and I'm, I'm still, you know, kept the old <laughs> and Pendergrass from that perspective. But as far as is, is, is who I am with Jesus, I mean, it's completely different. It is completely different. Why? Jesus changed me. Law doesn't change us. Law is behavioral management is all law is. It really doesn't change anybody. It regulates. Relationship changes people. And that's when I knew. And that's why I can never go back to legalism. I changed. Jesus changed me through relationship. Why would I ever want to go back to law? Well, once you experience what it's like to grow closer to Christ, and I feel like you're a little further along on that than I am because just the way my brain works and the way my brain has always worked and the way I've always been conditioned, leaving behind that legalistic certainty and that law base, that case law approach to scripture, that's been really hard for me. And, you know, one of the things that, that we value and especially evangelical circles value is Bible reading, you know, read your Bible, have a devotional that you read. And I'll just tell you straight up, it hasn't been until probably the last eight to 12 months that I've really read my Bible on a regular basis, because once you read it, or at least for me, whenever it's an exercise in developing case law and developing argumentation and developing your positions and being ironclad in your positions, whenever you read scripture to that end, once you have what you believe about X, Y, Z figured out, you don't need to return to the scriptures. You have it figured out. You have your construct in place. And it's through that and through the rationalization of your position and through the focus on ritual that you lose the narrative of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. And you've been at this a little longer than I have in this respect, but you know, I'm starting to follow him and it's still tough to figure out. It's still hard because I still find myself sometimes going back to some of those tendencies to focus on ritual, to focus on law. And letting go of that and looking at things through this Christocentric lens, it, it can be difficult to shed, but it gets easier every day. And yeah. Well, and law equalizes everyone, right? So law, law is, this is the way it is. This is what you have to do. And so it puts everyone on the exact same position. Well, in Christianity, people are not on the same uh, wavelength all the time. In fact, very rarely are we as humans because you have some people who've been Christians for a long, long, long time. You have other people who've been Christians for a short period of time. You have other people who just perhaps became a Christian today or last night. And so if you have this one law standard everyone's to keep, then it, that's impossible. That's impossible for everyone because if that's the case, then the longer you've been a Christian, you're like, oh, well, I've got this thing knocked out. You know, I've, I've only got to hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. I did that. And here's the five acts of worship. I'm doing that. So, yeah, I'm doing this. You can't grow. You, you there, There's there's absolutely no growth in legalism because you once you've done it, you've done it. And that's it. It's over. I've, I've, I've kept the law. I've done what I'm supposed to do. There's no growth in that. And it's it would be like if if I, I parallel it this way. My wife and I, we've been married now for for over six years, six and a half years. Well, I've known of couples who've been married for 65 and 70 years. My wife and I have a fantastic relationship. She was she was very instrumental in, in helping me change. We really changed together, and she was a big part of that journey. We helped each other. 
And we've always been on the same page and, and we have a phenomenal relationship. I mean, we own our own business together. We're together all the time. And so we have a very close relationship. People look at us and, and people say, we can tell you guys have a very good relationship. We love being around each other. But then I look at someone who's been married 75 years and there's one couple in particular I'm thinking of in my mind that I know. And they've been literally together, I think, 60 something years. And their relationship is phenomenal, too. And I dare say that their relationship is probably more phenomenal than the relationship that that me and Bethany have. Now, that doesn't mean that our relationship is bad. It's just they have had their relationship a whole lot longer than we have had our relationship. They've gone through a lot more than we've gone through. That's the way relationship works. Law wants to say, here's what you got to do. Everybody's got to do it, whether you've been a Christian for two months or whether you've been a Christian for you know, a hundred years, this is, this is what you have to complete. And there's no growth in that relationship is going to look different. Everybody's relationship with Jesus is going to look different. And that's why conformity and uniformity is so dangerous to Christianity because people just do things because they think that's what they're supposed to do. And there's no growth in that. and, and, And that's oftentimes why we take law and we reduce it down to just a handful of things that we feel are manageable. And, you know, for, for you, for like you, for example, you know, your church really focuses on the one cup and the one loaf. Well, the church I grew up in, not the one I'm currently at, but the church I grew up in focused on in, why instrumental music is wrong. We kind of reduce these these things down to make it manageable. <laughs> and there yeah. is no relationship at all to it. And so when someone says, well, what does relationship look like? Well, my relationship with Jesus is going to look different. In fact, this is the word that scares people to death, and I'm going to throw it out there anyway, but it's very subjective. If the Bible teaches us anything, it teaches us that following God and the way that looks is going to be different from one person to another, and we hate that. We hate that. It scares us to death because we want to gauge. We want to be able to say, this is what it looks like to be faithful. It means you come to church and this, this, this. No, no, no. It is going to look so different from one from one person. They may have to go and sell everything they have. They may yeah. have to go and sell everything they have. Where's that written in the law? Well, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's gonna that's subjective. That means different things to different people based upon their relationship with Jesus at that time. And that scares people well, to death. Well, even Jesus described the subjective nature that would that would come out of the fruit that would be born wherever he talked about the harvest, how some would bear a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I mean, you're going to have different people at different stages in life who have been through different things and faced different challenges and have overcome different obstacles. All of that is going to paint a picture, a different picture of what that faithfulness looks like in the life of that person. And one of the things that we shouldn't ever do is get caught in the trap of castigating others because their faithfulness doesn't look exactly the same in a cookie cutter way that what ours does. And I really like how you put that. And another thing that's that's hilarious to me, I don't know if you have more that you want to say is, is you know, we had talked about trying to keep this at 30 to 40 minutes and yeah. here we are at almost Good luck with that, right? We- <laughs> into it. <laughs> the longest episode yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're 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 as verbose or as you're at least as verbose as I am. We both like to talk. So, um, I know that we talked about trying to keep it shorter, but brother, this has been just an excellent conversation. Well, and this is a topic that is so passionate about, you know, that I'm so passionate about. I mean, I'm passionate about a lot of topics, but this one, especially because this is the lens. I mean, this is, this is so vital because this defines how you view everything else, because we're going to, you know, we're going to start talking about marriage, divorce and and remarriage, uh, starting with our next episode. Well, 
I, I'm going to probably, me and Lee are probably going to be looking at this differently because if you're looking at this through nothing more than, than a law system and we're looking at it through relational, a relational system, that already puts us at odds, right? And so if someone yeah. looks at their Christianity as this list of laws and they're looking at everything as legislation, they're already looking at the Bible in a way that I don't agree with, that I, don't, I do not believe they're properly approaching the Bible. So that's why this is so important to start with this and under and and yeah, we did go longer, and hopefully people will still be listening to it. But I think that this is so important for people to understand because if you can get this, this is where things will start changing in your life big time. Oh, absolutely. And one thing that I want to say is kind of a side note here. I like how you said that that it's not really an appropriate approach to scripture to look at it that way. And I don't want any of our listeners to misunderstand. We're not trading one set of legalistic trappings for another. We're not saying that used to, we would say, if you don't do X, Y, Z, you're not right in God's sight and you can't be saved. But now we're saying, if you don't look at scripture through these lenses, you're not right in God's sight and can't be saved. I think that there's danger in looking at it in that old way that you and I both used to. Yeah. But the grace of God can absolutely cover those who look at the scriptures through a legalistic framework. Oh, absolutely. If your heart belongs to him. And that's the big if, you know, we'd say if you've been baptized for the remission of your sins with the right mental ascent in your mind, or if your church worships in the right way, well, then you're saved. If your heart belongs to Jesus, and there's a lot more that we can unpack and a lot of that that we have unpacked in this episode if your heart belongs to Jesus, even if you look at the scriptures through that legalistic framework, if your heart belongs to him, well, then your faith is in him. But one thing to always think about is reflect on yourself and reflect on where your mind is. Reflect on where and how you approach scripture. Does your heart really belong to Jesus or is your heart and your trust placed in what you can do and how you do it rather than what Christ has already done for all of us. Yeah, and I love the way you put that because what we don't want to do is turn relationship into just a, a, another legalistic system. <laughs> we don't we don't want to now yeah. have people, well, do I how do I know I know Jesus? Do I know him good enough? Do I you know do I know him well enough? You know, it's it's uh that 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 is 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 turning it into a, a different system because you can be, and I love the way I've heard, I heard people say, you can be saved. Uh, you can be free without enjoying your freedom. And I, I you know, <laughs> one, one of the best examples that I heard, it was just a principle from the Old Testament. And, and I think it's a pretty valid principle. They said, when you look at the Jews, they were still God's people under his protection when they were wandering in the wilderness. But they could have been enjoying the promised land uh, much, much sooner. And many of them, by the way, never did get to enjoy the promised land. They didn't get to enter in. And the point that was made is that when we properly don't know God, when we don't know God as well as we could, doesn't mean that we're lost, but it does mean we may not be enjoying the freedom that God has called us to. And that's where I feel a lot of our brethren are is I believe that I believe they're saved. I'm not, I'm definitely not questioning their salvation. Um, ultimately God is, is going to be the judge of each individual, but I, I'm I, personally, I'm not looking at people saying, Oh man, you're, you're a legalist. You're lost. I don't believe I was lost uh, prior to properly understanding grace, but I do believe that I was not living in freedom. 
I, I, I was saved, but I was yeah. not living in freedom. I was a wandering Christian. I was in the wilderness. And so you have two Christians. You have Christians who are wandering, and you have those who are in the promised land. And, and I believe that when we understand this, we can enjoy the freedom that God has called us to. And we can actually be unshackled from any of the sins that legalism is actually keeping us in. And that right there is the purpose behind this episode. That's the purpose behind this podcast. It's not to castigate those that are of a legalistic framework or who still operate under that because that's what they know and that's what they're comfortable with. It's to show that there is another approach that you can take to scripture that is a scriptural approach, that is a holy and upright approach. It's a good approach. It's a fair approach. And it leads us into relationship with Jesus and it frees us from those burdens that so often weigh our hearts down whenever we are so caught up in ourselves that we resort to those endless lists of what ifs. Yeah. And that's the entire purpose here is to help our brethren free themselves from that so that they can enjoy the grace and the love and the beauty that is the Christian life. And by removing our focus from that of ritual and making it all about what we do, it, it's not a process of doing, it's a process of being. Are we doing all of the right things or are we being the people God has called us to be? Well, and you have in Galatians 5, 13, the passage that I alluded to earlier, really like the threefold categories of, of people in freedom. You have those who are in freedom, but they're using that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. They're still saved, but they're, they're not in condemnation, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, but they're not utilizing freedom the way it's meant to be. They're kind of, kind of like me. Uh, I, was, I was utilizing my, my freedom, and I had misunderstood what grace and freedom was all about to really kind of justify the lust of my flesh. So you, you kind of have that category. Then you have the category, as, as Paul would say, through love serve one another, which is the proper way we're to understand freedom. And then you have those who devour one another and bite and consume one another. So you, you, you kind of have all sorts of different people, even though they're all saved, you kind of have those who are the religious zealots who are constantly fighting each other who are saved. You have those who are enjoying their freedom and loving and serving one another who are saved, which is what we need to, where we need to be. And then you have those who are saved, who are still uh, utilizing that as, as they're still struggling with different sins and, and almost justifying their sins through their either legalistic approach or sometimes even freedom, which by the way, sometimes people do utilize freedom and say, I can do what I want to do. And I would say that that's a misunderstanding of what freedom is too. But the point is, is that all three of those categories are considered Christians who are saved people. So I think that's interesting to think about. I think it's definitely interesting to think about it, it. It definitely sums up our brotherhood, especially that last bit of biting and devouring one another. Cause Lord knows too much of that's gone on for too long. And hopefully the culture, the cultural shift within our movement, within the churches of Christ is beginning to change. And hopefully it will change because frankly, if it doesn't change, I don't know that, that, our movement will still be here in another 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah, so, I think it is changing. I, I know I've talked to enough people, people who a lot of other people would think are actually a, would be opposing us, who actually behind closed doors are talking to us. And I mean, I've had conversations with people that I'm. it's completely confidential, but if other people knew, they, they wouldn't believe it. And so there are people out there 
who have approached me personally, who I literally, my jaw just dropped because I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You know, I thought you hated my guts. I thought you thought I was going to hell. And, <laughs> and, and, and they would say, no, I've actually been following your blog for a while. And, and a lot of the things that you say, I've been thinking about myself. And so there are a lot of people out there who are starting to change. And we, we hope to give people boldness through this. I mean, we really do because you're not alone, man. There are so many people out there who are, are right where we're at, right where you're at, further along than we are. I mean, I mean, it's people that they've questioned this stuff. We're not the first and we're not the last. And there's many others who are just like us. Yes. So is there anything else that we need to say to button all this up about our relational illustrations? I think we've covered everything really, really well. The conclusion is but you can live you st- your, your life any way you want to, and you'll still go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because when you have a relationship, that's all you have to do. Yeah, that's the conclusion. Just do whatever you want to do. That's that's the conclusion. No, unfortunately, that would probably be what what some people uh, conclude with this, but that's obviously not what we're saying at all. Yeah, pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus above all else. Look at the scriptures through the lens of Christ and his sacrifice and his grace that once and for all appeared to all men everywhere. And if you pursue Jesus and you truly are a seeker, You'll find him. If you seek him with your heart, you will find him. He's there. All we have to do is look, and if we knock, that door will be opened unto us. Absolutely, well, brother. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening once again, Kevin. Thank you again for your time. You guys, if you Kevin, as we wrap this up, why don't you go ahead and give people your your blog address? The, you've alluded to that a few times. You've talked about that. Why don't you let our listeners know where they can find more of your material that you've written? Yeah, it's just my name, Kevin Pendergrass.org. It's that simple. Yep. Yep. Just check that out, guys. I think you'll like what you have to see there. Um, Thank you all for listening. And next week, we're going to begin diving into the topic that several have requested, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And Kevin and I talked about this for a little bit. It's going to be impossible to cover all of it in one episode. So we're going to be doing a multi-part series. Ten (laughs) episodes. Ten episodes. It may come out to ten episodes. Who knows? But one thing that he and I are both in full agreement on is we would really like to end the series with questions and answers. So what we would like to invite all of you to do is email us. We will have an email link in our um, show notes section down at the bottom where you can email us. Email us your questions that you have about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you can send me a Facebook message. You can send Kevin a Facebook message. Or if you follow us on Facebook, if you're not, why aren't you? Follow us on Facebook, not individually, but our podcast, Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. We have a Facebook page. Like it. Share it. Um, You can message us through that. In any case, get your questions to us that you would like to have answered on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and we will end our series with the question and answer section. So once again, thank you all for listening. We appreciate all of you. We love all of you. Pursue Jesus above all else, and you'll find what you're looking for. You guys have a wonderful day, and God bless. God bless. Yeah, I cut you off there. Sorry.